Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Intentional Living series, which talks about approaching every day with purpose. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Well, this morning we're coming back into our series, Intentional Living. And uh, my question for you this morning is, have you ever had to do something that you did not want to do? Everybody's laughing because it's like, yeah, duh, yeah. Uh, You know, you think about it, uh, you probably had a job or an assignment. Um, For me, it was all the assignments from kindergarten to my fifth year of college. I didn't want to do any of them and, I, and still had to. But, you know, seriously, there's a lot of times when you just get stuck doing something that you don't want to do, but you really have to. Uh, it's actually uh, such a thing that uh, among everybody that they created a TV show about this idea uh, a number of years ago, and it was called Dirty Jobs. Uh, anybody ever see that show, Dirty Jobs? Uh, the host, Mike Rowe, uh, he would host this show, and, and they would go, and the, the whole season would just be filled with jobs that no sane person really wanted. And uh, I, I looked up some of the episodes in preparation for this, and uh, I, I thought about a few folks in our church and some things that you probably wouldn't want to do, and maybe all of us, but one that I think applies to everybody uh, that he did was a show on a medical waste disposal expert. You know, you go to the hospital, and you see all the biohazard stuff and everything, and uh, I, I would never want to do that. Number one, just because I'm a germaphobe. And number two, because I'm a germaphobe. <laughs> and uh, second thing, this is Brother Micah back there. Um, Micah would hate this job. Um, it would be a high-rise window washer. Is that, is that right? Like, if you put jobs down that Micah will not do, that would probably be right at the top. High-rise window washer. Um, some of you, maybe you wouldn't want to do this. Some teenagers might want this. Um, I'll have more to say about that in a bit. Uh, but a maggot farmer. I don't know what they do. I didn't watch the episode because I didn't want to throw up. Uh, a sewer inspector. No, thank you. And then one I put on here just for my mom, because uh, I knew she was going to be back. Great to have my folks back today. Uh, but a snake wrangler. Uh, and then they have exotic snake wrangler as another episode that they watched. You know, there's probably a ton of jobs that you would put down as like, I am not going to want to do that. Uh, I think about even in ministry as a pastor, there's some things that pastors have to do and people in ministry have to do that you just don't want to. Uh, Brother Robert and Beth are down doing junior church today, but you need to ask Robert, just mark it down, ask Robert about doing some things that he didn't want to do, Uh, like the time when the sewer pipes up in the bathrooms upstairs all busted. This is about four years ago, and Robert was the only staff member that was here. I was out of town Micah was gone, and Robert was the only one. And so we got in the staff text thread pictures of Robert cleaning out sewage uh, that had busted underneath the crawl space. And uh, man, praise the Lord for my trip. (laughs) I I don't know. I I would not want to do that. Uh, You know, there's just some things that you and I have to do that we often don't want to do, whether it's a job-related or an assignment. But the truth is that... There's some things in the Christian life 
that sometimes we don't want to do. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is something that we're challenged in Scripture, that we're challenged that every person should be involved in. But if we'd be honest, it's one of those things that we'd probably say, you know, that probably isn't my first choice. But before we get into it, let me just explain what's been going on in our series. We've been in a series called Intentional Living. It's where we're really trying to take uh, the Bible and the principles that are taught in Scripture and apply it to everyday life. You know, a lot of people, we know the terminology about Christian or being a Christian. We know uh, uh, maybe some thoughts about, well, yeah, a Christian should do this or a Christian should uh, be like this. But sometimes we don't know how, what does that look like? What does it look like the phrase would be fleshed out? What does that look like in everyday life? And so this series is, an, is a series designed to help us take some Bible principles and figure out how do we put feet to this this week. Our first lesson was on the idea of being in, uh, of intentional growth. And the fact of the matter is so many people, we look at somebody else's faith or we look at their prayer life or we look at maybe how, uh, man, they, they don't use words like I use. Their, their vocabulary is different or their actions are different. And we look around and we're like, I want their religion. I want their Christianity not my own. And the fact of the matter is that the Lord desires that we would, and Peter wrote about it, stop wishing and start doing. Stop wishing for someone else's prayer life and start praying. Stop wishing for someone else's knowledge of the Bible and just get in the Word of God. Be intentional about your growth. The second message we looked at was on intentionally giving. And the fact of the matter is a lot of people say, oh, you know what, I, I would give to the Lord, whether that's financially or of uh, uh, my talents or of uh, um, my time. We'll say, yeah, I want to give my time and use my time for God. But sometimes we have the des desire to, but there's no follow through. The title of that message was Big Talk, No Walk. If you remember, Big Talk, No Walk. I desire to do that, but I don't actually do it. And if we're going to give to the Lord, we've got to be intentional in that. The third message we looked at was on the idea... i got to come back to my notes real quick. Third lesson, there we go. The third one was on intentionally... This is a good one. Intentionally dying. Kind of confusing. We're in the series in that Sunday. I was like, we're in the series Intentional Living. The title of my message today is Intentional Dying. And the whole thing we looked at was in Romans chapter 6. The fact of the matter that when a person receives Jesus Christ as Savior, the Bible says that they're a new creature in Corinthians. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And part of that new life is that I'm not bound in sin anymore. Uh, and Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 6 that I don't have to sin anymore. But what does it take to not sin? It takes dying to self. It's this stuff, this flesh. We still live in the flesh. The flesh, even though, even though the head, remember we talked about that snake? When you cut a head off of a snake, what happens? The body still moves. The snake's dead, but the body still moves. The body doesn't know it's dead yet. And that's what happens when we get saved, that God moves into our life, makes us new, but our flesh doesn't know it yet. And so our flesh still desires sinful things. And so we have to die to our flesh every day, waking up and saying, God, I give my life to you today. Use me for you today. Help me to not sin today. Now, are we ever going to be sinless this side of heaven? No, that's not going to happen. 
But Jude tells us in uh, the book of Jude, there's only one chapter, verse 20. It says to him, uh, it's talking about Jesus, to him that can give us, in uh, verse 20, I forget exactly how it's worded, but it can give us victory over sin. And that's what the book of Romans is about, how victory over sin. And so that was that third message. Fourth message is on intentionally serving. You don't serve the Lord just by happenstance. You have to choose to serve the Lord. The fifth lesson we looked at was uh, just last week, and it was about intentionally loving. And the, we talked about motives, having the motivation of love. If you remember Revelation chapter 2, the church there at Ephesus, they had got excited. They had a lot going for them. They had great character. They had a good history. They had a lot going for them. But Jesus said to him, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Hey, you're just going through the motions without a heart of love. Well, this morning we're coming into this idea, intentional living, and we're going to talk today um, about this thought of being intentional regarding the word encouraging. You know, uh, just a moment ago, I talked about this idea that there's something that we're given to do that most people don't really want to do. That something is the word encouraging. Now, <clears throat> That might kind of be confusing because there's many people here that say, oh, no, I don't mind encouraging people. I don't mind encouraging others. But if the truth's told, more often than not, we go through our days thinking about who? Ourselves. We go through the day thinking about, I go through the day thinking about Dennis, thinking about what can I get out of this conversation? What encouragement can I find today? But we're going to look in the scripture and understand that God's plan is that you and I would be intentional about being an encouragement and investing our life into the lives of people around us. There's a great example of it in Acts 9. I want you to see it with me. Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read verse 9 down through verse number 19. Let's stand together. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 this morning. And we're going to read the verses will be on the screen as well as your Bible there if you want to follow along. Either place works out fine. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 9 all the way down through verse number 19. It says this, And he, speaking of Saul of Tarsus, we know him as Paul, was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here. Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise. And go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard, many, uh, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably read this passage, a familiar passage about Saul coming to know Christ as his Savior. And while there's a number of uh, helpful things within this passage, the one thing we're going to do today, focus in on, is what I said a moment ago, is the fact that as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, God desires that I would be intentional about encouraging other people. And we should be intentionally encouraging. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, I didn't see that in this passage. We're going to see it together. It's a great portion of Scripture where we find a great example of somebody who put himself aside to invest and encourage in another person. And I've already been challenged by this, and I think you will as well. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our thoughts this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just take a moment, and um, in your own heart, would you ask the Lord to speak to you today? And you can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. And then would you just commit to the Lord that as God speaks to you, that you're listening to him and that you'll respond to him today. Dear Father, we thank you for the day. And Lord, we pray that as we go through our time right now, God, I just humble myself before you and I ask you that you'd speak to me and through me today. I pray that you'd speak to each of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here that they, they're not certain that you're in their life, they're not certain that their sins are forgiven, they don't know for sure that eternity is, uh, their eternity is going to be in heaven, I pray that today would be the day they recognize from your word the truth about knowing you as their Savior. Help every believer today to be challenged by your word, and I pray that we would make a decision today based on how you speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> You know, at first, when we hear this thought about intentionally encouraging, I think your response would be somewhat somewhat like my response. Uh, The response would probably be something like, well, I don't mind encouraging people. There's many folks in here that uh, if I were to list out people in our church that are encouraging, I really think a lot of us could write down a number of names of people in our church uh, that are just encouraging people to be around. And while that may, true, may be true of us, spiritually speaking, that we don't mind encouraging, the fact of the matter is that encouraging others is often something that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Uh, for most people, unless you've become uh, one of the most disciplined Christians in all of the world, for most people, encouraging others is something that we often don't naturally do because of that idea of being so self-focused, so inward-focused. I mean, think about it. Uh, We live in a culture that's so inward-focused, and that bleeds over into our Christianity. I mean, uh, most people, we are often uh, concerned with building ourselves up. Uh, Most people, we are often more likely to be involved in self-promotion. We desire to see what we can get out of a certain relationship, whether that's a friendship or a marriage, Um, We tend to uh, speak about ourselves. We tend to tell our story to everybody. We uh, tend to be concerned with our immediate comfort rather than the comfort of those around us. And uh, you think about it, we're probably very quick to give our opinion or our input into a 
conversation instead of listening and asking other people about them and working to make conversations about those around me rather than about ourselves. That's what I mean by the, the phrase that it doesn't just come to us. No, we're, we're a very selfish people. And this is exactly what I mean by the message that encouraging others is often something that we just don't want to do. Why? Because we're so self-word, self-inward focused. And, but the word of God is very clear. The Bible makes it clear to every one of us that God's plan is that he would use you and I to encourage and to invest in somebody else. Here's some great verses. Romans 14, 19. It says this, let us, follow, let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify or encourage or build up another. How about this? 1 Corinthians 10, 10, 23. Paul wrote this, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Talking about his actions. Paul's saying, hey, I live under grace. I'm able to do a lot of things, but not everything I do is going to encourage people around me. Uh, Romans 15, 4, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Uh, Philippians 2, 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. All throughout scripture, we're taught and instructed not to be so inwardly focused, but instead to edify or to encourage others around us. But the fact of the matter is that this type of edification or type of encouragement, it doesn't, it doesn't just come. You have to be intentional about it. But here's the question I want to ask. How do we intentionally encourage and invest our lives into the lives of people around us? How do we do that? What does it take for me and you to wake up tomorrow, Monday morning, and live the day encouraging and investing other people? I'm glad you asked the question because we find a great example in Acts 9. Most people, when you come to Acts 9, we automatically tend to lean towards Saul's story. Hey, here's a great story, and we're going we're gonna to recap it a little bit. But we neglect a very significant individual in the story. It's a man by the name of Ananias. What an incredible Christian. What a great man of God who used his life to encourage and invest in other people. But I want you to see this morning that even Ananias, it didn't come as like first nature. It was something he struggled with. There were some things in the passage, we're gonna see some things that Ananias had to overcome in order to be an encouragement. So the question, how do we intentionally encourage and invest our life in the lives of people around us? We're gonna answer it by looking at Ananias. Now, in order to lay the groundwork, we've gotta understand what's going on in the story. So if you have your Bible, look back to Acts chapter nine, verse one and two, also on the screen. It tells us what's taking place in the life of this man, Saul. Here's what it says. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, that's referring to Bible Christianity, if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So here's what Saul's doing. Saul is a main proponent of, a, uh, of persecuting the church the early believers. So what happened is Jesus, uh, he started the church with his disciples. Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again. He did all of that for us. And we'll talk more about that. And then Jesus ascended up to heaven about 40 days after he was uh, risen from the dead. And he left the apostles, the early Christians, he left them to reach out to other people. So 
they began reaching out to other people. Acts chapter two tells us from Acts two all the way to Acts chapter eight, thousands of people are coming to know Christ as Savior. Acts 8.1, or Acts, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 7, there's a man by the name of Stephen. He was one of the early Christians from the church there in Jerusalem. Stephen became known, many looked to him as being the first martyr. He was the first one who gave his life for faith in Jesus Christ that we have recorded for us. Might have been others before that, but Stephen's the first one that's recorded for us. Well, when you look at the stoning of Stephen, there was a young man there that was egging it on. And he was holding everybody's coat. Oh, you want to stone Stephen? Here, give me your coat while you throw that rock. Oh, here, here's a rock. Give me your coat. It was a young man by the name of Saul. Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That means he had religion, but no relationship with the Lord. He had, I'm a good guy, and he had the checklist done, but there was nothing real in his heart. That was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Same, same Saul in Acts 9. So here's what it says. Saul, he persecuted in Jerusalem. Now he goes to the high priest. He desires of him letters. Hey, give me letters. Give me a reason to go to Damascus, and I'm going to go get Christians up there. Just like we killed this guy, Stephen, I'm going to go get more. Come on, give me the letters. And so Saul gets the letters. He goes on this trip, this trek to Damascus. And Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 8, it tells us the story that on his way to Damascus, Saul receives Jesus Christ as his Savior. Uh, Saul is confronted with the truth that Jesus Jesus is the Messiah. He's confronted with the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, confronted with the truth that Jesus died and rose again to prove that he was God in the flesh. And so Saul receives it into his life. So now the greatest persecutor of the church, of early believers, becomes the greatest proponent of the church. Now he becomes a voice for God. Not a voice against God, now a voice for God. Well, he goes into the house of one Judas uh, that you read about there um, in verse, uh, verse number 11. It says that Saul of Tarsus was waiting in the house of one Judas. And so Saul, he goes in there and he's blinded because of this encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. And I, I, I can imagine Saul being there wondering, what do I do next? I can see Saul maybe sitting there, and the Bible tells us that he is praying, and uh, maybe he's a little stunned about the recent events in his life. I mean, here he was against Jesus, and now he's just received the truth about Jesus. A great change had taken place in Saul's life, and I can kind of see him there worried and maybe suffering from anxiety and just really maybe discouraged a little bit, thankful that now I know truth, but like, what am I going to do with my life now? I've been, this is, I've been so against it. And all these questions going on in Saul's heart. But here's the awesome thought is that God did not leave him there. God heard his prayer and God says to Saul, I'm going to bring someone into your life to help you. I'm going to bring someone into your life to encourage you. And that's when we're introduced to the man, Ananias. It's through this man, Ananias, that God would strengthen and encourage Saul. Through Ananias, God would teach Saul a number of things. And then if you read the scripture, you learn that Saul's name turns to Paul, and Paul becomes the greatest missionary outside of Jesus Christ to ever walk the earth. 
Paul writes 13 or 14 of the letters or books of our New Testament. Paul gives us great principles and insight into God and into truth. I mean, Paul really just does an amazing job. And if you look at Paul's life through the book of Acts, God uses Paul to make an absolute incredible difference in this world. But I want to show you something this morning. It started with Ananias. It started because there was an Ananias that used his life to encourage and invest in Paul. So now that we know the story, let's answer our question. How do you and I use our life to be intentional about encouraging someone else? I have a few thoughts, four thoughts from the life of Ananias that'll help us very quickly this morning to use our lives to invest in other people. I want you to notice, first of all, that in order to encourage others, I must first, I must be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. In order to encourage others, in order to use my life to invest in others, I must be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. What do I mean by that? Notice, if you will, back in our passage in Acts 9, notice verse number 10. Here's what it says in Acts 9, 10. It says, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. In this verse, we read that uh, the Lord spoke to Ananias through a vision. Now, if you look at this, Ananias' response to the Lord, he says, I'm here. Lord says, hey, Ananias, and Ananias hears and says, I'm here. Now, this tells us a number of things, but two I want to tell you very quickly. Number one, this tells me that Ananias had a relationship with God. Would you believe that from this passage? Yeah, I would. The Lord speaks to him. He hears and responds right away. He had a relationship with God. Ananias had received God into his life. Ananias had received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Let me just pause for a moment and ask you, have you done that? You don't need to answer out loud, but have you done that? Do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? See, the truth of the matter is that everybody, this is not Pastor Dennis, this is what the Word of God teaches, everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. Everyone. Heaven or hell. Everyone is born a sinner with a broken relationship with God. And because of our sin, we deserve hell. But Jesus came, lived a perfect life as the Son of God, was crucified on the cross, and died for our sin. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus Christ died upon the cross. He took on him the sins of the whole world, put on him at the cross, and that all happened, and here's why. Because Jesus loves you. Right? The greatest verse known, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So here's the simple truth. You and I were born sinners, separated from God, but Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. And then he rose again to prove that he was God and prove that he can be trusted. Now here's what's happened. Religion has taken that and said, yes, we believe Jesus died. So you need to believe in Jesus and get baptized, and you can go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. Religion says you need to believe in Jesus and be a part of this church, and they, they tell you whatever church you need to be involved in, and then you can go to heaven. That's not in the Bible. You need to be a good person and receive Jesus. That's not in the Bible. 
Now, are all those things good things to do? Yeah, it's good to get baptized, good to be a good person, good to be a part of a church. Those are great things, but those don't get me to heaven. Those don't get me in a relationship with God. The only thing that gets me in a relationship with God is having a time when I've asked Jesus Christ to forgive my sin and to be my Savior, a time when I put my faith and my trust completely in him. Okay, when I look at Acts 9.10, Ananias has done that. I believe he's received the Lord. He has a relationship with the Lord. But this also tells me something else about Ananias. It tells me that Ananias wanted God's plan in his life. It tells me that Ananias was close enough to the Lord to hear God's voice, and he was submissive to the Lord. And we see that in the phrase, I am here, Lord. The word Lord means master. If you broke it down, it means the one who is in complete control of my life. So Ananias said, I'm here, one who is in complete control of my life. Lord, what do you want for me to do? Now, there's a few things we need to understand. First of all, in order for you and I to be sensitive in the leading of the Lord, I must have a relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with him? But another thing we need to remember is that the Lord, he does not speak through visions anymore. Ananias was sitting there and uh, he fell in, the Bible says he had a vision, so it's like he's there and kind of goes into a trance and begins to communicate with the Lord. God does not work that way anymore. The Bible teaches that with the apostles, that those visions and prophesyings passed off the scene. You'd say, all right, Pastor Dennis, well, how does God speak then? Two ways. Number one, God speaks mainly through his word. This is God's love letter to you and me. This is God's word to us. This is how God speaks to us. Number two, when a person receives Christ as their Savior, God moves into their life. They don't experience visions and and dreams and prophecies. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. No, the Bible teaches that they experience what's called a still, small voice. And here's what the still, small voice does. The Holy Spirit of God takes the word of God to make the child of God like the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit takes the Bible and speaks to my heart to help me be like Jesus. That's how God speaks. But here's the thing. If I'm not in his word, if I neglect the Bible, I'm not gonna be sensitive to the Lord speaking to me. Why? Because I'm neglecting the foundational thought about our relationship The foundation of a relationship is communication. If I'm not allowing God to communicate to me, I'm not gonna be listening for being an encouragement. So here's the truth that if you and I are going to really be uh, used of the Lord to encourage others and to invest in others, we've got to be close to the Lord. I've gotta be sensitive to his voice. I've gotta be one that says, God, I want you to speak into my life. All right, first thought. If I'm going to be an encouragement, use my life to invest in others, I've first of all got to be sensitive to the Lord. But secondly, I've got to, and pay attention to this, I've got to set aside preconceived prejudices. If I'm going to be used to encourage and invest in others, I've got to set aside, here's the great word, pride. I've got to set it aside. Notice in our story, here's Ananias. All right, Lord, I'm here. I'm willing to be used of you. What do you want? And notice what God says to him in verse 11 and 12. Look what it says. The Lord said unto him, 
Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Lord says, Ananias, I'm really glad you're willing to be used um, because there's this fella down here, his name's Saul of Tarsus. I want you to go talk to him. Now, you and I, we read it. We know the story. We just read it. It kind of just happens. But here's what I kind of picture in my mind right now as I'm thinking about it. Saul in there, maybe he's on his knees praying. And all right, Lord, what do you want? Lord says to him through the vision, I want you to go to Saul of Tarsus. Turn like Glenn, turn my hearing aid up. Um, Lord, uh, I don't mean to question, but did I hear you correctly? You say Saul of Tarsus? You say, Pastor Dennis, how do we know that was his response? Look at the next, next two verses. Verse 13 and 14 tells us Ananias' response. Look what he says. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much, what's the next word? Evil. How much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Hey, uh, Lord, I don't know if, if we're talking about the same guy. Are there two Sauls of Tarsus? Or is this the guy that hath done much evil? You say, what evil has he done? If you looked at Acts chapter number eight and verse number one, it tells us that Saul was wreaking havoc within the churches. Saul was the main proponent of all of that persecution. I mean, of people dying. And so it's like the Lord coming to you and saying, I want you to go visit the person who's responsible for the deaths of Christians. What would your answer be? Um, next, please. You know, next one up, Lord, I'm all for serving you, but I've heard some things about this guy. That's what Ananias is saying. <coughs> Excuse me. He's saying, I, I've heard about this guy. Uh, he's, he's the one that's killing everybody. Lord, are you sure about this? Now, again, we read this, and at first reading, it's kind of just like, well, Ananias, just go. I mean, he had this vision of the Lord. Ananias didn't know that. He didn't know what was going on in Saul's life. He just knows the Lord says, hey, Saul's waiting for you. Now, here's, here's Ananias' questions. What's going to happen to me? That's in there. He hath authority from the priest to bind all that call on thy name. Lord, he's already hurt other Christians. Lord, he is responsible for the death of others. Lord, he is an evil, evil evil man. Let me ask you a question. Is Saul wrong to think all those things? I don't believe he is because all of those things, or excuse me, is Ananias wrong to think all those things? Ananias wrong to think all those things? I don't believe, I don't believe he is. Those were all true statements. But here's where, I believe, here's where I believe Ananias went wrong, and the Lord will correct him here in just a second is Ananias' thought was, okay, Lord, I'm willing to serve you. Uh, not that way. I don't want to do that one. That's pride. That's a preconceived prejudice. It's, Lord, I have these thoughts about that person. They don't meet my criteria. I'm not going to do that. Not going to encourage. 
not going to invest. But notice what the Lord says to him, the next phrase, and we already read it. It says, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Here's what the Lord says to him. Hey, uh, go ahead and just go away. Don't worry about it. You've heard some things from me. I have a plan for Saul of Tarsus. You just need to go. So here's Ananias, scared of Saul, what he's heard about Saul. He had these preconceived thoughts, and rightly so. He gives his response to the Lord, and the Lord just says, go thy way. You know what God's saying to Saul? Trust me. Hey, take a step of faith. Or excuse me, what the Lord's saying to Ananias. I'm going to keep mixing those names up. You know who I'm talking about. Just nod and smile. Uh, it makes me preach faster anyway. Some of you are like. Uh, listen, man, I, that hurt my head. You know, so often in our life, we know God does, listen, don't miss this today. Because I, I believe this is a very convicting thought. So often in our life, we miss opportunity to encourage and invest in other people because they don't meet our criteria. We won't invest in somebody because they don't look like us, talk like us, act like us. They're not of our uh, ethnicity. They're not of our history. They're not of our background. And, and, we, and we, we've become such a prejudiced people. And I'm not talking just about racism, although that's part of prejudice. And in all honesty, me growing up, racism was like so foreign to us. It was so foreign. And now we're seeing it all over the news and all that stuff. My answer about all that is just grow up. Like, let's just realize people are people. But you know what that is? Racism, it's, it's founded in pride. It's founded in pride. I'm better than you. That's all prejudices. They don't dress like me, talk like me, act like me, so I'm not going to talk to them. And here's what Ananias had to do. He had to say, all right. These things are true, but I'm going to put them to the side. Can I just tell you that if you and I are ever going to encourage and invest our life into other people, you've got to put you aside. Just because someone doesn't look, talk, act, think like you doesn't mean that God can't use you to be an incredible encouragement in their life. I want you just to see that at times God calls us to encourage and invest into those who are not like us. So what do we have to do? We've got to set aside those preconceived prejudices. I see this morning that in order to be used to encourage others, I must first be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. I've got to be close to him so I can hear him help me encourage others. Number two, I've got to set aside those preconceived prejudices. But number three, and this is a simple thought, I've got to step up and follow through. All right, pastor, today you preached about being an encouragement. I'm willing to be an encouragement. Lord, I'm willing. I've got that sensitive to the leading of the Lord. God, I'm willing. I'm going to be close to you this week. Set aside prejudice. All right, I'm going to set aside prejudice. I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to look at people and just see a human being. I'm not going to see how they dress, talk, act, or think. I'm going to just put aside my prejudice. And this week, the opportunity is going to come, and it's going to pass us right by. And we miss it. And here's why we don't step up and follow through. Here's Ananias. Okay, God, I'm willing, 
Put aside your preconceived prejudices. Okay, God, I'll put that aside. But I want you to notice the follow through. Look at verse 17. Great verse. Acts 9, 17, it says this. And Ananias went his way, entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Here's what he, listen, don't, oh, don't miss this. It's really good. Here's what Ananias did. You say, what was that? It's called a step of faith. Right? Because he still didn't know. Saul, I mean, this, this could be something where, like, the Lord's testing Saul, and Saul's going to turn and kill him. He doesn't know, but he follows through. He doesn't just say, I'm willing, okay, I'll go. He says, I'm willing, I'll go, and he went. He stepped through the open door. You want to know why some of us don't encourage and invest in others? Because we don't step through the door. Man, sometimes people, they just, it's almost like God opens a garage door for us to walk through and be an encouragement. And we're standing there like, I don't know if this is a door. I don't know if this is the opportunity. To... And then it passes us by. Oh, next time. I'll do it next time. I'll encourage them next time. I'll invest in them next time. I'll speak words of kindness next time. I'll, I'll edify. I'll do that next time. Listen, you can be willing and put aside your preconceived prejudices, but if you're not willing to take the step of faith and actually do it, what's the point? What's the point? And so here's Ananias. He takes this great step of faith. And from a message a few weeks ago, Ananias, he was not big talk, small walk. That message was about people who make all these commitments but never follow through. You've been around those people. That drives the human race. I'll just tell you right now. I can read your brain. Yep, I've just read everybody's mind in here. You know what drives most everybody in here absolutely bonkers? When somebody says something and doesn't do it. Wives are like... <laughs> right? Honey-do list? Oh, I'll get to that, babe. <laughs> A year later, I'll still get to it, babe. Yeah, yeah, when I get around to it. Wives, don't be judgmental. You're the same way. Oh, I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll get that done. Kids, same way. Yeah, I'll clean my room. Grandparents, same way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll... Can I just tell you something that drives us all nuts is when people don't follow through with what they say they're going to do. If it drives you nuts, what do you think it does to the Lord's heart? God, I'll be an encouragement this week. Opportunity goes right by. I miss it. Next time, next time, Lord, I'll do it. Man, may we stop saying next time and start living. Saul was not big talk, small walk. I mean, not Saul, Ananias. Ananias was not, see, I did the name thing again. You know what I mean? Ananias was not big talk, small walk. Ananias followed through when he had opportunity. He was willing to be used to invest and to encourage. And the fact of the matter is when we are willing to do it, but opportunities arise and we fail to do it, that willingness means nothing. 
Ananias, he didn't know everything that could happen, but he was willing to follow through with his commitment. He was willing to step up and to encourage, even though he may not get anything in return. And we must be willing to take advantage of the opportunities that the Lord brings our way. This is something that is instructed to us in Scripture, like 2 Timothy 2.2, the things that thou hast heard of me among, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is taking what I know in my life and taking the truths I have and investing them and encouraging into to somebody else, even though I may not get something in return. And that's a big key. Because pride says, I'll invest, but what am I going to get back? Christianity and godliness and biblical thoughts say, I'll invest regardless of what I get back. Man, listen how we need this. I wonder what would change in your life this week if you, first of all, were sensitive to the Lord, God, I'm gonna be close to you this week. Secondly, set aside those preconceived prejudices. And then third, actually stepped out and follow through. I would encourage you with your Christianity, have funnel Christianity, not sponge Christianity. Funnel Christianity says, the truths about God can flow through me to other people. Sponge Christianity says, soak it up, baby. This is all about me. Sponge Christianity says, I, me, me, pride. Funnel says, no, it's gonna flow through me. So here's Ananias. He's used to encourage the Lord. Why was he or used to encourage Saul? Why was he used? Number one, he was sensitive in leading the Lord. Number two, he set aside his preconceived prejudices. Number three, he stepped up and followed through. And then number four, and this is last this morning, is you got to see the end result. This is the area of faith that I'm talking about. Look at verse 18 and 19. Great verses. It says, and immediately there fell from his eyes, Saul's eyes that had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Um, last part of verse 19, when it says, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, that would include Ananias and other believers. So this is an amazing thought. Here's Saul coming to arrest all of these believers. And in turn, he spends time with them. They strengthen him and encourage him and feed him. By the way, sometimes meeting somebody's spiritual need to invest and encourage can happen best over a meal. It can happen best when you meet a physical need because then maybe you have their heart, be able to talk to them. That's why we want to encourage at Moses Lake Baptist hospitality. That's having people over, taking people out, spending time together. Don't just come to church and this is the only time you see Christians here. No, this week, go to coffee with somebody. Do something for somebody. Why? It's just encouraging. It brings on that fellowship. This is what's taking place there. But I want you to notice the thought here that Ananias, he was used to the Lord to encourage but I believe that Ananias' step of faith was believing what God told him in verse 16 when God said, I've got plans for Saul that you don't know about. Here's the simple thought, and we'll be done this morning. It's this, that you never know who God could use you to encourage and invest into. By that, I mean you never know what God can do with that person. You never know how God could use them as a simple tool. You never know the plans that God has for them, but it takes faith. I was thinking as I was studying and putting the message together, I was just thinking of people that have encouraged me, thinking of people that have invested in my life that they didn't know that I'd be a pastor. They didn't know that even as part of Moses Lake Baptist that here we'd be seven and a half years later. 
I think about people like a lady, her name was Irma No. Mrs. No was one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met. And she was a lady in a church in Lakewood when I was a teenager and 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, I'd sing specials and she'd come up and she'd say, Dennis, I could just listen to you sing all the time. She'd keep using that for the Lord. And every time I'd come home from college, she'd say, where's my hug? And I'd give her a hug and she'd go, all right, now give me about 10 more because you're gonna be gone for about 10 more weeks this next semester and I need one every week. And Mrs. No, she always, always had a sweet spirit, always encouraged me. I think right now about a lady growing up, uh, encouraged Daniel back there and myself. Her name was June McCarty. But June McCarty, she lived a block from Greeley Baptist Temple. And whenever we were playing there at Greeley, we would always walk over to her house. And Miss June, she always had bacon and eggs. She always give you bacon and eggs. And I remember going to her house and her husband, Paul. Paul was the loudest mouth person I think you'd ever meet. My dad, dad would be preaching there at the church and Paul would be sitting in the second or third row. He'd go, preacher, that doesn't make sense. He'd go, preacher, that ain't true. And my dad say, now, Paul, we'll talk after service. Just calm down. I know, I want to talk now. That was Paul, but, but little June McCarty, she was just the sweetest little lady and she just, Paul, shut up. And then we'd go to her house and she'd just, how are you guys doing? And even as just five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old young man, uh, Miss June McCarty investing in my life. I think about a guy named Ben Spore and Gilbert Spore and Ben now with the Lord, his sweet wife, Marilyn, investing in my life. I think about uh, Daniel's dad, Richard Blim, and a man, just an amazing man that Richard was. He was one that you could count on him being the usher, being in the back of the church. Every Sunday morning, you could count on Richard. Every Sunday morning, you could count on him. You knew Richard was gonna be there. And what an, what an encouragement. Now he's with the Lord, looking forward to seeing and Richard again. And I can tell you, uh, I'll go on and on, a guy by the name of Vince Rojas. If I could tell you about Vince, it'd take all day. Vince was the maintenance guy at the church, and he was the one that would always say, quit breaking windows, Dennis. He'd say to Dan, mainly it was Daniel's fault. He said to us one time, you guys would ride horses in here if you could, wouldn't you? We looked right at him and said, do you have any horses? You know what, Vince, when I became 13 and 14, and then even in college, I'd go back and visit. Vince would walk up and say, Dennis, I love you, and I'm praying for you. Think about Vince Rojas. Man, the names could go on. I think about people in our church. I think about Don Honeycutt. Mentioned him this morning. Man, what an encouragement Don Honeycutt was. Encouragement in the fact of just his words, his personality. But you know what I love about Don Honeycutt? Don Honeycutt was steadfast. He was constant. I never... Every Sunday morning, you know who would be back there greeting people when he felt healthy? Don Honeycutt, standing there with his cane, his smile with what teeth he had left. He'd say, good morning, pastor. Do you need a bulletin? Say, no, Don. You sure? You know what's in here? I think I do. All right. And Don Honeycutt. I think about Sam Stewart. Man, just went home to be with the Lord this last year. What an encouragement Sam Stewart was. I think about Miss Frances Spencer. Uh, Miss Sandy's mom. Boy, Frances was an, she was such an encouragement from Wales, and she'd, I, she was an encouragement just because of her accent. I could sit and listen to Frances talk all day, but she would tell me stories about being a young lady growing up during the wars. You know what she always had to say? She'd just say something like, oh, I just, Pastor, I just love your preaching. Pastor, thanks for preaching. But you know what, as a young pastor, and I'm not saying I need that, and some of you are going to come up afterwards and say, Pastor, thanks for preaching. And praise the Lord, but listen, 
Stuff like that encouraged me. I think about Felix Avila. Many of you don't know Felix Avila. He died the very first year we were here. But Felix would call me up. He would call me after I had led him to the Lord and led his family to the Lord. Felix called me up. He'd say, Dennis, would you come over? I'd say, yeah, what's up, Felix? He'd say, I just want you to come pray with me. I just love praying with you. I remember going to Felix's house the week before he passed away and him sitting in a chair not doing well from cancer and him just, hey, pastor, why don't you pray? Man, that's an encouragement. You say, pastor, why are you telling us all this? Because you never know who God could use you to encourage. You never know. It could, be a, it could be a coworker this week that's thinking about suicide. And you could simply just tell him, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. Hey, do you know Christ is your savior? And your simple question could change someone's eternity. It could be a friend this week or a family member this week that they just found out about cancer. It could be someone even in our church. Well, there's people in our church, they had loved ones die this week. Not everybody knows it, but you could, walk up, you, you could walk up to somebody, not even know it, and just say, hey, I just want to tell you, you're on my mind this week. Send a text message to somebody. Send an email to somebody, somebody you haven't talked to in years. I'm just simply saying that our encouragement, you never know what God can do. And here's what I just want to challenge you with this week, is make encouragement intentional. Your encouragement has to be intentional. It starts by being sensitive to the Lord. The next part is setting aside those preconceived prejudices, those thoughts, that pride. The next area is step up and follow through. And the fourth area, I believe one of the greatest, is see the end results. God, I don't know what you could do if I simply encourage somebody else. You know, this morning, I wish I could continue, but I don't want to belabor the point. I just want to encourage you. As you go through this week, this, as you go through the week this week, Wake up tomorrow and just have a heart. God, who could I encourage? God, I want to be close to you. Would you help me do that? But before we close, can I just challenge you with this? Some of you, you need encouragement. And you know it. Had a rough week, maybe a rough year this year. Can I just tell you two thoughts about it? Number one, you being close to the Lord will be the best encouragement you can ever get. Just get up and spend time in his word. Start reading the book of John. Start reading a psalm a day. Spend time with God. He's going to encourage you. Number two, don't neglect being around other Christians. Sometimes we need encouragement and we skip church. And it, it amazes me. I'll have people, they'll miss a Sunday. And that Tuesday, I'll get a phone call from them. Hey, pastor, I know yesterday's your day off. Could we get together this week? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, let's get together. We'll get together. We'll sit down for coffee on Thursday. And they'll say, Pastor, I'm just going through this. And they'll have all of these things. And I'll say, I preached on that last Sunday. Man, the, the Sunday school lesson was on that last Sunday. And I'm just simply saying, don't miss the encouragement that God has around you. And don't miss the encouragement God wants to do through you. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed today. And we're going to wrap our service up. But I want to ask a couple of questions. The first one is this. The first one is, do you know for sure that you have Christ as your Savior? See, in order to be an encouragement the way God wants you to, you've got to know God. You've got to know him in your life. So I want to ask you, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus alone? If you're here and you'd be honest, Pastor, I know that I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor, I know that. Just right up, right back down. If that's you today and you know that, can I encourage you to take the message 
and make the commitment, God, I'm going to be intentional in my encouragement this week. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.